gospel lesson comes to us from the good news according to St. John, the 14th chapter. This is part of a long section in which Jesus is giving his final instructions to the disciples on the night before he was crucified. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let me say what we're going to do this morning is kind of just a, more than usual with Pastor Jameson, a meandering meditation with Pastor Jay. Um, so we're going to just meditate, take a little walk together, and then I have uh, actually four applications at the end. So just, just relax, do story time with Uncle Jay, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll reflect together. So what do you think of when you hear the word Home. Go ahead, I want you to picture it. What do you see? What do you see when I say home? What does it look like? Where is it? Who's there? How's it feel just to be there? What does it smell like? What kind of activity is going on? Now, how would you try to describe that? How would you characterize what makes that image for you home? How would you sort of take it apart and say, well, this is what constitutes a home for me? Now, that place you picture it, is it a memory? Is it a dream of something in the future? A history or a hope? Does the place you pictured still exist? Can you find it? Are you able right now after the service to go there? If so, will it stay that way? For how long will that thing you pictured be able to remain home? One of the things New Yorkers, as much as anybody in America probably or around the world, one of the things we love to kvetch about is housing, 
how expensive it is, how impossible it is to own anything, how the rents are too darn high, all the stuff like that. And you see us bouncing around, people move in, people move out, and uh, it's so hard to sometimes imagine uh, finding a place that you have here to be like the kind of home that you long for. Uh, Even if you own, you have this mistaken idea that somehow owning it means that you're going to be able to be there for the rest of your life and it will always be home to you. Let me suggest that, that home, and our desire for it, because when I say home, you know there's something that starts to work in your guts a little bit. You start to think and long for something. And so let me suggest that home and our desire for it is something good. It is good, and the desire for it is good. That God put a, a longing for home in your heart. For somewhere that it is good, good for us to be, and we want to be there, and this is good, but let me also suggest that home, in this deeper sense, is not primarily a place we can point to with longitude and latitude on Google Earth. It doesn't have permanent coordinates for any one of us. I looked in the Oxford Dictionary, and here's how they describe home. Pretty straightforward. The place where one lives permanently, especially as a member of a family or a household. And I thought, okay, sure, that's descriptive. That's how we use it. But also, home has a definition as a verb. Did you know this? Usually, in parentheses, of an animal. Home is a a verb that return. That's what it means, to return by instinct to your territory after leaving it. For example, a dozen geese homing to their summer nesting grounds. A second definition in the verb sense is to move or to be aimed toward a target or destination with great accuracy. To home in on, to be homed in on something. And that verb for home, I think, is interesting for our sakes this morning. Maybe home spiritually is a verb before it's a noun, or even more than it's a noun. I don't know, Jesus talked about it like this in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't lay up for yourself any treasures on earth. And of course, that would include homes, houses. Don't store up for them here where moth and rust destroy them, where thieves break in and steal from you. No, instead lay for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Maybe Elvis wasn't far off when he said that home is where the heart is. The challenge then can be is that we can put our heart in homes that are merely earthly, just designed for our own safety and security and contentment and provision, that we can, see, we can settle for a place to settle it like the settlers did and to stop seeking, to stop moving, to stop looking for any deeper sense of home and to try to find our little parcel of land and to defend it with all of our might and pour all of our resources into it just to have the security that we want here in this world. And it makes sense that we would be insecure. That we'd be insecure when we put our hearts 
on a home here, it always is going to change. The closest thing I can think of in my life to a home was my grandparents' house because we moved around my whole life. And my last living grandparent died a year ago, and that family house, the family farm, was sold to a stranger. It's not going to be home for me anymore in any sense. That is inevitably true for everyone here. And so we put our heart into the homes here, into places here, and we realize the restlessness and the insecurity of that, and we get scared, and we're afraid of being homeless. And I've quoted this before, but Greg Thompson, a friend of ours who used to speak at one of our retreats many, many years ago, said that he thinks the chief characteristic of the modern age is not that it's some militant secular coherence trying to destroy faith, but instead, he said, I think that the chief characteristic of the modern age is actually our sense of homelessness. We've gotten rid of all tradition, all culture, all family, all the things that tie, all the homeland, and we feel homeless. We feel uprooted. We feel like we're not going to be safe. We have nowhere to land. That No one's going to protect us or guide us or take care of us. And we are just out there wandering all alone with nowhere to rest our heads. This can be literal and material, people that lack permanent shelter. It can be the homeland, ancestral. You know, I'm from here, but I haven't been back because I've moved around the world. And that it can be communal and relational. You're not around your your uh, blood family and your friends are always moving and so you feel like, where do I belong? Who are my people? And then, of course, spiritually. I think if we're all honest, there's something deep within us that feels homeless, restless, unrooted, wandering, maybe even overlooked. And we feel at home alone and lost sometimes. I think ever since Genesis 3 and sin entered the world, people have felt this sense of vulnerability in their wanderings, not just wanderings. They were called to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and cultivate it. So they were supposed to go out and be nomads and wanderers, in that sense also seekers and settlers and cultivators. And yet they've felt vulnerable ever since Genesis 3, no, not knowing that there is a guide with them, not knowing that there is anything being prepared for them to rest in and take shelter in. And I want to tell you that we were meant to be at home in this world, that's how God made it. Read Genesis 1 and 2 again when you go home. He made it to be good and nourishing and full of life and kindness and truth and sharing and beauty and glory to be at home with God, you know, to be able to listen to him and talk to him and live like him and learn from him, to be at home with one another. I mean, the first thing Adam and Eve are doing is like not only knowing one another, but writing poems for one another, singing together. You know, it's meant to be beautiful and harmonious. To be at home with yourself, not to have any distance between, oh, my true self and all these bad choices I make, but just to be at home in your own skin and at home with the created order, all things cultivating and working together. We were made to be at home in God's shalom that he's made here. But instead, because of sin, we've made it a place of danger and of discouragement and disappointment and fear where some people have too much and many, many more have not enough, where people don't feel like they're at home and they're not welcome, gates are shut to them, borders are closed down. And all of us know at some level that we share this uprootedness, this searching, this lack of feeling at home with God, lack of feeling at home with ourselves, with one another, with the world, with a place. 
We're all homeless, and that's the first step is to, to believe it. To say, you know, I've settled to, for a little place here that I'm trying to put all of my security and safety and resources and hope in, and maybe this place will protect me, and it can be a little place of refuge, and, and then to feel all uprooted as soon as the rent goes up, or to feel all upset, when, you know, just any of these sorts of things. So the first key is to, to realize that we, in our sin, have settled for something less than what we were made for, but also to realize this desire for home is good, that all of us are still searching for something that is a, a, a more substantial, or we ought to be searching, many of us are searching for something more substantial and deep, an ultimate home in the world. We are to make home here, and we'll revisit that in a second, but in such a way that this isn't our final home. And so we can't be overly dependent on or overly identified with or assimilated to any people or places or projects here. We can't make any one thing here our ultimate home because we were made for God. We were made for God to be at home with him, with others in this world. And when we chose to remove him from the center of our home, from our hearth, from our hearts, we became, as I said, vulnerable migrants longing for rest and safety and to be guided home again. So in this passage, John chapter 14 is the beginning of a long section, 14 through 17 actually, which is a large part of John's entire gospel, Uh, this long speech unique to him, to his gospel, right before Jesus dies and goes to the cross for the sins of the world and then is raised again three days later from the dead for the life of the world. In this passage, just before his death and resurrection, so that they don't understand, though he's told them plainly, He tells his disciples again that he is going to be away. They are losing him. But he wants them to know that he's going to be busy at work. And I want you to hear that he is still busy at work this morning, doing what he said he was going to do here, which is I'm going away, and until you see me again, until I come back and bring it with with me, you should know that I'm going to prepare an eternal home for you. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to be busy rolling up my sleeves doing when you see me disappear into heaven. I am preparing an eternal home for you. And this is the one that he wants us to imagine. What is that home like? Do that first exercise again. We won't do it as long, but God's home. The one that Jesus is preparing. What is that home like? What does it smell like? What does it look like? What kind of activities happening? What waits there? What is going on in that place? How would we feel to be in that room? What is home for a Christian, in other words? I would suggest that we start with this inner ache. This where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we were to put our treasure, our hope, our possessions, our security, our safety, all these things we look for in a home, in God's home, then that place becomes, yes, a homing beacon. It becomes where our heart longs to be more and more, to be at home with God in the place that he is preparing, the eternal home he has for his people. And it'll become this inner ache and this longing to keep searching for that, to keep finding the home that he is preparing for us even now. Listen to what he says. He's just told them that he is the good shepherd. We heard last week, I'm the good shepherd. I take care of my sheep. I make a place for you. You can come in and out. I'll take care of you when we're out in the fields, and I'll take care of when people try to break in and steal and destroy. I've got you. And so then he says to them in verse 1, I'll read some of these verses again to you. 
Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Their fear that was palpable, he could see it on their faces, seemed to have something to do with the fact that they knew they were about to be shepherdless. So their security and safety that would protect them, their gate, their walls, it was about to go away. And they were going to be scattered to all the nations of the earth. They also are losing the one that guides them, the one that has been guiding them as they've been homeless and wandering. Jesus without a place to rest his head, he says. And so they've lost their safety. They're losing their safety. They're losing their guide. And they're afraid. They're afraid like all of us in the modern West. Some of these things are too hard even to want to say in a sermon, but do we lack a sense of safety? Yes, we do. How many things? Have you, how many occasions have you seen in the news the last few weeks where someone shows up at the wrong door and gets shot because someone's afraid of someone on their doorstep or in their driveway? And do we need guides? Just this morning at New York Times, I just checked it for once a second to see if anything crazy had happened that I needed to know about today. And the first two uh, pieces on the front of the page were about the migrant, uh, growing migrant community in El Paso right now waiting for this certain title thing from the pandemic to pass. And they're building a home. They have nowhere to go. They have nowhere to guide them. They have nowhere to land. Or the Ukrainians, there's 5 million Ukrainians about to move back home. And what are they going to find there? These people have fear that you and I probably can't imagine. And the disciples are having similar kinds of fear. And he says to them, don't be afraid. Don't let that stuff trouble the waters of your heart. Believe in God. And belief, this word here that they're using, has the idea of loyalty and trust in it. Not just, uh, you know, put the data in to overwrite the other data, your fear data. No, cling to me. Cling to God. Don't let go. Trust. Loyalty. Believe in me and believe this. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I love this. Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. He said, didn't I tell you that in my Father's house are many rooms? And I I just want to tell you this as an aside, you know, a little pat on the back for you. You live in New York City. That means that you are practicing for heaven. Why? It's a house with a whole lot of rooms, okay? God, if he's an architect and a builder, and he says he is, he is into urban density, all right? He doesn't say, I'm going out there to make that big one family mansion for you with your garage so you never have to see your neighbors in the subdivision with, you know, with the gated complex all around you. No, I'm not just putting your little shanty out on your own personal 100 acres where you can just walk around and be alone all the time. No, I'm going to build a house for you, and in that house that you're gonna share is filled with so many rooms, Okay, that maybe it means that if you are longing after some of those other things I just said, that you're practicing for hell where you can be alone. Think about that next time you think about moving to Jersey for no more space. (laughs) I'm joking, but I'm also serious. I'm serious about what God is doing. He's going to build a house that is huge and there is a place. It's a real place, he says. It's a place. Think about all the things. We're going to unpack this in a second just for a minute, but a placey place with smells and tastes 
more concrete than anything you can imagine around here even, more solid, more real because you'll always be in the moment because you're always content and you won't be thinking about the future of the past or your worries. You'll just be there beholding and content and calm and you'll be at home. He's going to make this place and there's a place for you. That's why there's many rooms. There's a place for all who want to come. Without price. And a place for you like this, doesn't that sound a bit like home? Think about these questions. These essential, universal, primal questions. Do I belong? Am I welcome? Can I be on the team? Can I be part of your family? The answer from Jesus is, come on, man, trust in this. Cling to this. Don't settle for less. I am making a place for you. And it's a house with so many rooms in it where you belong. And if you will place your treasure here, then you get those homing instincts. You guys know, I learned a little bit about the New York City pigeons. You know, they're actually rock doves most of them taken and trained and certain ones, sorry, not all of them have been trained. Certain ones have been taken and trained to be what are called messenger pigeons. We've all heard this to some extent. What I didn't know is that back in the day, especially in the 19th century, news would be coming from Europe and one of the closest places um, on our continent to Europe was Halifax, Nova Scotia. So a lot of New York Times reporters, or not New York Times reporters, sorry, reporters in the time in New York would go up there to Halifax And they would wait for the news to come right off the ships. And then they would have these pigeons that had been homed here. And they'd put the news on those pigeons' feet and send it straight back to the papers in New York. This is what a picture of what is meant to be for Christians. That we have our treasure and our home put in God's place. And what he is building, what he's doing, what awaits. And we are here, but we are constantly able as these pigeons, it says, a singular quality of this bird is that when it is taken far from its nest, it is able to find its way home due to a particularly developed sense of orientation. That's meant to be us. A singular quality of yours is that when you are taken far from your true home, you are able to find your way home back due to a particularly developed sense of orientation. This is how... If you go read Hebrews 11 and 12, and I will not read the whole thing. You can read it later. It describes pretty much all the people of faith in the Old Testament. Faith, what is it? It's the assurance of things you hope for, the conviction of things you haven't seen yet. And then it describes what Abraham had done and later all these other saints. But it says, Abraham was looking forward to a city that had foundations, whose designer and builder is God, not to any earthly city. That's why he went seeking All these people they've described, it says, have died in faith. They never received the things that they were promised, but they got a glimpse of them, and they greeted them from afar, and they acknowledged that right now they're strangers and exiles and immigrants and wanderers on this earth. People like them actually make it clear that they are seeking a true homeland. If they had been treasuring a homeland from which they had gone out, then they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, and that is one from heaven. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared for them a city. 
There it is again. Urban density. They're all seekers. They're pilgrim people looking for a homeland that God is making out before them. And instead, I'm not going to dwell on this. I'd rather move into the application. But instead, again, we are so tempted to settle and to protect what we have and just to make sure no one else ever gets a piece of it. He says, no, to seek your treasure is something that you can't quite see you, but I've told you and you've had tastes of it and glimpses of it. And I am building it. I'm doing the work. You don't even have to. You just have to long for this. Seek this and don't settle for anything here. So in verse three, he says, and if I go... And I prepare a place for you. You should trust that I will come again and I will take you there myself. That where I am, you may be also. So he wants to be with you. He wants you in this home. He wants you in this city. He wants you in this country. He wants you in this place. And he says, don't worry about how to find it. Don't worry about not having a guide. Don't worry that you're lost on this earth, even if you are and when you are and when you're dispossessed and when you find yourself in prison and when you find yourself on a border and not allowed in and when you find yourself coming back to a war-torn city, when you lose your apartment because you can't afford the rent anymore, when your grandparents die, when these things happen, know that I am coming back for you and I am going to bring you to myself that you may be where I am. Don't worry. I'm going to bring you home. Like all those stories we've heard of settlers in the Old West and immigrants right now working in all of the restaurant kitchens in New York City, they've left a home, they've come here, and they are sending back money and news, and they're learning the culture, and they're waiting for the day they can bring their family there with them to this place. That's what Jesus is doing for you. He is preparing, and he's coming back because he wants to be with you. And so, how do we apply this to us now. I have four applications. Pick one and remember that because there's no way you're going to remember all four. It's fine. The one I've mostly said the whole sermon, which is try to adopt the mindset. No matter how much you have to tend here or to steward or to cultivate, no matter how much God gives you, he says, though your rich, riches increase, set not your heart upon them. That's a biblical text. No matter how much you have to steward, Always seek to continue to be a seeker, to be a pilgrim, to realize that you are a wanderer, a nomad in this life, that we are not meant to settle and to protect and permanently just for ourselves, but to long for God's home because it's big enough for everyone, because it's perfect for all, because he is building it and it's full of grace and truth and life. He says later, I'm the way and the truth and the life. The way there is to follow me in my ways. So be a pilgrim, a citizen of heaven, longing for your ultimate home, one that you will receive, not one you have to build. That's first, so be a seeker. Two, as we sojourn, it is dangerous, and there is strength in numbers. So give a greater priority to the family of God on this earth. Your natural-born family, or all the terms, blood family, or legal family, they may or may not love you well, but you are meant to be a part of a pilgrim community, a part of a people that God is wandering together and leading, as he said uh, in the Old Testament passage you heard. He said, did I ever need a house? No, my house is to be with you and to wander around and to lead you and guide you. You heard it in the New Testament passage that Trish read, that the house he's actually building right here, right now, in this age and this time, is made of people, stones that are alive, 
And he's building them up into a holy house. And that's why it is fair to say that, yeah, we hope to get this church, but also, really, you're the church. You're the people. You're the thing he's building that he delights in. You are to be the home, the place where people experience shalom, comfort with God, comfort with themselves, comfort with their, their best, deepest self that God has made and the one that he is renewing. Comfort with one another in reconciliation and renewal and service and sacrifice. Comfort with all that he's given us to steward. And so give a greater priority to this family of God who is being turned into a nomadic tribe that grows and gathers, whose doors are open, who makes it home in God. Third, one of the ways in I've found for my life is to find your existential home in God. And I mean that primarily, there's spiritual practices, but the ones that come most clearly to mind are to meditate upon the scriptures and the sacred writings throughout history that describe what it means to understand God more deeply, to understand self more deeply. And Calvin put that at the beginning of his great work, which is the more you know God, the more you understand yourself truly. The more you understand yourself truly, the more you understand God truly. And so to do this work through reading and meditating upon things like uh, all of the books of the Bible and the other writings of people who have been on this, um, seeking this, this homeland, seeking this God throughout history, the writings of the saints, and then through prayer. Through prayer to return to God again and again. Uh, I've been using this analogy of the prodigal sons, really the this tale of the two lost sons, as my mental habits, I think I tended to like, oh, daydream, I could go over here, I could buy this. If you just give me my inheritance, God, I could go out and I'll do a bunch of stuff with it. And I run off like the prodigal, and I'm over here dreaming. And then when it doesn't work out like I want, I, I guess I'll go back and slave it for him because I'm not worthy to be called his son anymore. And you kind of shuffle back, and he's like, hey, there's a big party in the house, come in before you can even finish your speech. Or you become the elder brother, and you're over here, and you've got your agenda, you've got it all locked down, you're serving God, you're faithful, you're like, I don't even make that much money, I don't own anything, I've been a pastor for all this time, and that's my actual thoughts. So you're sitting there, and you're like, well, why don't I have this? I've been so faithful, I just do that, I sacrifice, I went through a pandemic, I'm still here, why can't we blah, 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 blah. And he stands there, he comes out, just like in the parallel, and says, hey, there's a party inside, there's a fire, fat and calf, come on, you're outside, acting like you're homeless. Get in here. So through prayer, to just return to this God, to practice his presence as the one who's building a home and set a feast and a fire, meditation and prayer, find your existential home in God. And lastly, to return full circle, if our true treasure is where God's home is and what he's building and what he is bringing, he's come back to guide us to, then now in this place, in this building, in our homes, in your uh, office, we can be placemakers. We can make this place, this world, more and more God's home through hospitality and through the ways of Christ. A long time ago, I wrote an article called Christ in the Cubicle, and there's a reflection on this book uh, called Where Mortals Dwell, about Christian placemaking. And so I'm going to read you a little bit of what I wrote, and this is pretty much, take two minutes and we'll be done. It uses the cubicle as an example. And I argued that the cubicle felt like a really dehumanizing place, you know, to just sit in this cubicle with no, nothing sort of, I don't know, alive about it. But the book was arguing, and I think from the scriptures we can argue that Though some places feel more like home than others do, there are, of course, things 
like uh, concentration camps, and there are things like cathedrals. There are places that feel more hospitable and more welcoming than those that don't. And yet, if we are following God's ways of life, Jesus who says he's the way, the truth, and the life in this passage, then we will make this place more and more a place where God is welcome and where his people are welcome, where the creation is welcome, where we find ourselves welcome. And I say that the result may very well be a sort of re-enchantment of place. Placemakers might begin to make the places where they work and dwell endued with heaven to earthliness. That the very ground under our feet, the walls around, the fields, the cities might be filled with the blessing story and very life of God. Places can take on a sacred resonance, a holy and palpable ripple, echo, or memory. If the gates of hell will not ultimately prevail against the advancing kingdom of God, then a potentially dehumanizing man-made place such as a skyscraper cubicle seems a small foe indeed. Even if slums and prisons and parking lots will not survive the purifying fire that will usher in the new heavens and earth, for now might they not be made more holy by the sanctifying work of men and women embodying the presence and patterns of God as they faithfully go about their labors and play with thanksgiving. It is by such efforts engaged in each and every place that the kingdom of this world will be revealed more and more as the very kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And in the meantime, each of us, priests of our own little cubicle, preparing this world to become for us and for God truly and finally home. Let me encourage you, friends, that God is, through Jesus, making a place for you. You will truly and finally be at home there. No one will ever take it away from you. And if you will seek this place, set your heart on it, then even now you will be free to find God in and through your prayer life, in and through the church and the community that is being built and in all the places where you bring his way of life into the work of your hands and the hope of your hearts. May God give us this grace to make this place a home by his efforts and with him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you.